0: Well, good evening. Welcome to you. It is good to be with you. My name is Jarrett Stevens, and uh, I am here from Solstice Church, downtown Chicago, where my wife and I get the privilege to pastor that church. Here's the fun thing, and it just hit me when I was in this room and we were worshiping together. Uh, The last time that I spoke here was exactly five years ago, and our church was just an idea. It was a handful of people in our living room. And so to consider what God has done over the last five years and how he's grown this expression of the church right in the heart of the city is it just really hit me what a cool thing it is for me even to mark that by being with you and my hope is that if all goes well tonight you'll have me back again five years from now so a lot can happen in that time so what i want to do is i want us to talk about something that your soul actually is longing to hear and desiring for you to actually practice You came here this afternoon, this evening, maybe not even realizing it, with a message that your soul was trying to get across to you. And it's begging you to listen to God and actually apply in your life. I want to talk for the next few moments about hurry and what hurry can do to your soul and why it's so important that we learn to name hurry as such and begin to actually live in rhythm with God, I want to walk you through in just a little bit, I want to walk you through an ancient biblical principle that practice that maybe you, be, like you might be familiar with. But my hope is that when you leave here this evening, it would be something you are committed to and it would give life to you as you uh, really try and, and, and live out your life with God in your everyday world. And so because this idea of hurry is so important and so pervasive and affects us more than we even realize or know, I want us to just take a little pop quiz. Now, I know it's summer, and it's Saturday evening. The last thing you want to be doing is taking a pop quiz right now. But this is going to be the easiest pop quiz you've ever taken. All you have to do to answer is raise your hand. Stakes, very low right now, okay? So can you do this? Can we do this together right now? Well, that is so discouraging. We are not. That is the worst sign of affirmation possible because we're going to do it anyway. So the right answer is yes. Can we do this together right now? All right. So all you have to do is raise your hand so that you can understand if hurry is something that is a part of your life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back over the last 60 days, last two months. Okay. I want you to try as best you can. And if any of the following things have been true of you in the last 60 days, All you have to do is raise your hand, all right? So here's the first one, just to help us understand kind of where we're at and where hurry is at in our life. If in the last 60 days when you've come to an elevator or a crosswalk, you've pressed the button more than once, raise your hand. Yeah, because you know how those things work, on demand, right? The more you press, the faster they come, right? Might be a symptom that you are living a hurried life. All right, here's a question. We're gonna kind of keep it easy for you. If over the last 60 days at any point you've found yourself, complaining about Wi-Fi speed anywhere. Raise your hand right now, either at work, at home, at Starbucks. This is the definition of a first-world problem, right, that we complain about our Wi-Fi speed. But it's a symptom and a sign of how much we live a hurried life. All right, now we're going to get a little bit more honest. I want you to be honest with this. When you're in church, you might as well be honest. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just be honest. In the last 60 days, if at any point you've come to a stoplight, And you've pulled your phone out to text or check email or Facebook or maybe even just Instagram, the stoplight. I don't know. Go ahead and raise your hand. And I'm going to be honest. This is me. Okay, now here's the deal. I want you to keep your hands up real high. Everyone else who's not raising your hand, look at these people. And when they leave tonight, give them at least three car lengths distance between them. God only knows what will happen at the next light. All right. All right, so here's one, and this may be for you kind of something you're proud of. I want you to think of this. Now, if over the last 60 days or any point in your life, within 30 minutes, okay, so that's the time frame, within 30 minutes, you can go from pillow to presentable, I want you to raise your hand. If you can go from pillow to presentable, right, some of you are like 30 minutes, try three. That's you. All right, good. Awesome. And maybe that's what you did today to get here, came straight from a nap. I'm so glad that you're here. You made it. That's a sign and a symptom that we can move at a very frantic pace if and when we want to. Now, last one, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I just want you to do a little bit more reflection on if over the last 60 days or so you've ever found yourself saying, or wondering, or wishing, or hoping. This phrase, God, I just wish there was more time. I just wish there was more time. I just wish there was more time to, to fit it all in. I just wish there was more time to kind of get it all packed into my life and my schedule and kind of make it work. I just wish there was enough time for family. I just wish there was enough time to get kind of the work, life, faith, balance thing right. It seems like I get to the end of my week and I didn't even get close. I just wish there was more time. I think all of us at some level feel that on probably more often than we'd like to admit. I just wish there was more time. Because we live in a very interesting time. We live in a very interesting day, unlike any other time in human history. Because we live in a day where we believe we can do anything. And that's actually a really powerful thing. We believe we can do anything. Anything is actually possible. And so we believe we can do anything. There's nothing wrong per se with that. The real problem comes from not us believing that we can do anything. The problem comes from the fact that we believe we can do everything. And so we fill our lives and cram our lives and run our lives to the margins. And then we get to the end of it all saying, I just wish I had more time. We're so worried that we won't be able to fit it all in. We're just so worried that we won't have enough time we're so worried that even if we did stop and slow down for a moment we would not know what to do with ourselves because your life has become accustomed to operating at that pace we're so worried and you know the truth is is we're going to just have a dialogue here with God about hurry and the power that can have on your soul the impact it can have in your soul you know the truth that we have to face is that hurry really at the heart of it all is nothing more than worry in motion. You ever thought about that before? All you're hurrying about, you're racing and running to get from this to that, and the reason you drive the way you do, and the reason your schedule is packed like it is, and you're trying to fit everything in, it's really, it really comes down to this. You're worried. It's worry. It's worry. Hurry is nothing more than worry in motion. I'm so worried that there's just not enough, that God isn't big enough, that there's not enough space, not enough time, not enough For me to get it all in. And so we try and out hustle our worries with hurry. And if you're familiar with the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, you know what he said in Matthew 6, 27, and he said it all over the place. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can any of you make your schedule better by worrying? Is that really the best strategy is to put your worry in motion through hurry? I think for any of us who tried, we know you just cannot out-hustle all your worries with hurry. In fact, there's a, a pastor of mine, a mentor in my life. His name's John Orper. He's written amazing books. Maybe you've heard him teach before you've read one of his books he got to this place about a decade and a half or so ago he got to this place where it was just so full but it wasn't fulfilling his life was overwhelming he was hurried and so he called a mentor of his he called a mentor up and the the name of his mentor is dallas willard another amazing author that god gave to this world he passed away a few years ago but before he did john reached out to dallas and he called him on the phone and he said dallas i just can't do it i can't connect all the dots there's just not enough time. It's just too overwhelming. I can't make it all work. And so he said to his mentor, Dallas, he said, listen, is there anything, anything you can tell me that will help kind of connect these dots and help me not live in such a frantic pace all the time? And then he says, and if you don't mind, like kind of, you know, hurrying up because I'm late for a meeting. <laughs> True story. So i just only got a few minutes here for you to give me wisdom that can change my life. And so what Dallas did was what any great spiritual mentor or leader would do. He paused, like probably obnoxiously long, pause. And he said these words to John that I believe God wants to say to us tonight. He said, John, listen, here's the deal. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry, isn't that interesting, is the great enemy. That frantic, rushed pace of life that's the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Then here's this prescription. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly, not manage, not put up with, not work around, ruthlessly eliminate hurry, something that we all face and feel, hurry from your life. Because what Dallas is saying here is really quite simple. The stakes What's really going on here is not just checking off your to-do list every week, not just trying to keep everyone happy, not just trying to fit it all in. The stakes to a hurried life are ultimately your soul. Your soul is what's at stake. My soul is what's at stake when I live this hurried, rushed, frantic life, always ever running from this to that. In fact, last summer, I hit the wall. Right around this time last summer, I hit the wall just trying to make it all work with the church and life and marriage and family and friends and all of that, trying to make it all work. And so I reached out to a spiritual mentor of mine. And I laid it all out to her. I said, look, I, don't, I cannot make it work. It's too much. There's not enough time. There's not enough meetings. There's not enough to get it done, to make everyone happy and get my job done. And instead of answering my question with a simple little solution, she gave me a metaphor. Like, thanks. I just wanted you to tell me what to do. Like Yoda, you're giving me an image here. Okay. But this is what she said, and I thought it would be important for our time tonight as we walk into God's word here in a moment. She said, Jared, you know, the truth of your life is, it's like a jar of river water. Your life is like a a jar of river water. And I brought this here tonight. This is uh, Chicago river water. So God only knows what's in here, actually. Might want to be careful, not really touch this, but... She so said, here's the truth of your life. Your, 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 your life is like a jar just scooped up of river water. And when your heart, when your soul is at peace and is still and resting in God, it's a beautiful thing. Things are so much clearer. But the truth is of our lives is we end up hurrying and worrying and swirling about and we end up rushing from this thing to that and I can't fit it all in so I gotta try harder, I gotta make more people happy and we gotta hurry up because I gotta get the kids here in the morning for soccer and then we gotta run back because we have the barbecue with the Andersons this afternoon and then we gotta get to church by five o'clock so will you please hurry up, we need to go to church while you can get out of control. And then your life ends up looking like this. And nothing's Clear. everything's mixed up and we wonder why it's hard to hear from God. We wonder why our soul at times can feel exhausted and overwhelmed. Could it be that the stakes of a hurried life are your soul and the thing that God is inviting you to do is to rest and to be still and to let the sediment of your life settle down so that you can hear more clearly from him, so that you can see and know where it is that God is moving, what it is that God is saying, how it is that God is leading your life. A hurried life is like a jar of clouded, muddied river water. God's inviting us to be still with him. Years ago in the Methodist tradition, in fact, when the Methodist denomination was just starting out. They had a tradition. I don't know if there's any Methodists in this room or former Methodists. If you were, I wouldn't have you raise your hand because any good Methodist knows you don't raise your hand in church. But if there were any Methodists here, you'd know that part of the tradition of every Methodist gathering, when that denomination began, when they would gather for meals and they would gather for church, they had one question that they would ask each other, one question that cuts through all of the hurry and swirling of our lives. They would look each other in the eye and they would say, How is it with your soul? That's the first thing they'd say when they see each other. How is it with your soul? We've lost touch of this in our culture today. Would you agree? Most of the times when we see each other, we go, what's up? I mean, I have friends who just go, they just give me a neck spasm, and that's (laughs) an acceptable greeting among us. But they would ask the question, how is it with your soul today? How is it with your soul? The thing that matters most to God. How is it with your soul, the gift that you give to the world? How is it with your soul today? And so before I lead us through this biblical principle that we're going to practice together over the course of this week, I thought it would be great because they gave me the microphone. There's really nothing you can do. I thought it would be great if we asked ourselves that question. We allowed God to ask us that question. How is it with my soul? No, really, right now. How is it with my soul? Here's the deal. I don't think you would have come here tonight if that question didn't matter, at least at some level to you. How is it with your soul? And so for the next 30 or 45 seconds, we're going to do something. We're going to be really still, really quiet. I don't want you worrying about anything else or anyone else or looking at your phone or checking your phone. Don't worry about it. Save that for the stoplight. Like right now, in this moment, We're going to ask ourselves a question. We'll make it as easy as possible. I had you raise your hand before. We're going to do a fill in the blank for this next little part. I'm going to put a little question up on the screen and basically it says this. My soul is, and then all you have to do is fill in the blank. What would you say actually right now? If someone said, how is it with your soul? What would you say? My soul is overwhelmed. My soul is grieving over the loss of, someone I love or a broken relationship. My soul is overjoyed because of a marriage in our family or in our world, or my soul is troubled because I don't know what to do about this big decision. What would you say to that question? So I'm gonna ask you in a spirit of real quiet reflection to just take a moment with that, and I'm gonna like just stand up here and do the same thing with you. So I'll do it with you. Let's just take 30, 45 seconds and just name with God where our soul is at so that he can speak Clearly and directly to it in this moment. So take a moment to just reflect on that. How is it with your soul? Answer quietly to yourself right now in this space. was the last time you even just took that brief of a moment to check in with what matters most to God? Can you imagine if that became a part of your practice with God your life with God that you would just stop and go okay but how is it really in this moment because hurry is going to swirl it all up and confuse what's really going on beneath the surface but when I stop and have a moment like that or have someone who loves me enough to ask me that question those of you who are married have spouses can you imagine asking that question of each other at the end of the day how is it with your soul can you imagine how much deeper the conversations might go if we just ask that question And just sat with it with God. God, my soul is. If you've ever read the book of Psalms, that's basically all that's going on. God, my soul is. God, my soul is. God, my soul is. If we're ever going to hear from God and and let the sediment settle in our life, we're going to have to choose to fight a good fight. And the fight, the battle isn't against hurry. I think that's my tendency when it comes to hurry is I try and fight against hurry by just clearing everything out. You ever done that before? Like, I need to just cancel all the meetings and I just need to clear my schedule and cancel meetings. We're not going out with them tomorrow night. I want you to put the kids to bed. Well, it's two in the afternoon, put them to bed. Like, you know, you just try and clear everything out to try and unhurry your life. How long does that last? Like maybe till the end of the day and maybe the end of the week. That's not the best way to fight to like ruthlessly eliminate hurry that's not how you do it there's a better battle it's not against hurry but the battle is actually for rhythm in your life battle is actually for rhythm in your life with God how do you fight for that cuz God actually loves rhythm God actually created you for rhythm With him. If you're ever feeling hurried and overwhelmed, it's because most likely you are out of rhythm with God. God created this world in rhythm. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but when God, if you go back to the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 creation account, God creates something very early on in our story. He creates night and day, and He gives us a rhythm. To live by, that the day is for going out and for working with God and putting our hands and our hearts to whatever it is that God has called or created us for. And then the night is for coming back in and being still and being with God. Do you see that in the very beginning of the world, God created a rhythm to which He has not missed a beat since this world began? Night and day, night and day, night and day. God loves rhythm. In fact, God created our seasons to work. In a rhythm, there's actually a reason to the why we have seasons. And it's a rhythm that God created. God loves rhythm. Now, I grew up in Northern California. First half of my life, I spent just across the bay of San Francisco. Unbelievable. Now, when it came to seasons, we only had one season. And it was called awesome. All the time. Perfect all the time, right? But then I moved to Chicago. And I learned that God loves some people less than others. In some places less than others. Because I learned very quickly about seasons. And that there's a reason to the seasons. There's actually a rhythm to the seasons. Spring for new life gives way to summer. It gives way to summer. Summer for enjoying that. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Summer is not supposed to feel like fall. It's supposed to feel like summer. And we're meant to enjoy all the life that came from spring. And then summer gives way to fall. And fall is when we see see things begin to change, that there's a pulling in that begins to happen in creation. And then fall gives way to winter. And then here in Chicago, winter gives way to winter. And more and more and more winter. They never told me about that part when I moved here. But there is a reason to every season, and it's the rhythm. And God loves rhythm. In fact, God created your week. To live in rhythm. I told you we'd look at the Bible. Well, we're going to do that right now. If you have a Bible, I want you to open Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at God's reason and rhythm for your week. That God actually created your week to live in rhythm. Not only every season, not only every day, but your week is meant to live in rhythm with God. Exodus chapter 20. Let me give you some context as to where we're going in Exodus chapter 20. This is the moment in the Bible where God is giving the Ten Commandments. And he's given a way of living. His, his people are forming, and so he's giving his people a way of living with him. And so he goes through, and I, I mean, if you're kind of new to faith my hunches, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. You've been around this for a while. You know about the Ten Commandments. Most of them you go, yep, yeah, no-brainers, like the murder and the stealing and all that kind of stuff. Gee, yeah, but I know about those. But then there's a section of the Ten Commandments that we tend not to take as seriously. And that, this would be one of them that we're going to look at right now in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at this idea of Sabbath and the rhythm that God created you to live in so that your soul can actually be at peace and at rest with him. Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at verse 8. We'll start there. God says these words, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember, God says, The Sabbath day, this special day, this day that is unlike any other day by keeping it holy. And what that means, that word holy means separated, different from the rest, special and set aside. And God then goes on to explain why one day out of our week is meant to actually be special and set aside for us. It has to do with rhythm and it has to do with your soul. God goes on to say in verse 9 through the prophet Moses, he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a, what's the word? We just said a minute ago, is a, okay, it's not a whisper word, people. It's on the screens. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any work. Now, God, listen, He knows us and He knows our tendencies and our proclivities to find loopholes in everything. So He goes, Let me make it very clear to you who I'm talking to and what I'm talking about. He says, You are not to do any work, neither you nor your son. Your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God's like, yet D, none of the above. No one is supposed to work. This day is to be special, and it's not for work. Everything else can be about work and all that kind of stuff. This day is special and holy and set aside. And then God reminds us of where this idea comes from and why it's actually blessed by God. He says this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Remember we just talked about that a moment ago. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he, what's the word? But he rested on the seventh day. I I mean, God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed that day of rest, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. He set it aside to be a part of the rhythm of your life with him. Have you ever thought about that before, that God rested? I mean, did God need to rest after creating? Like, you know what I mean? Like every day he gets to the end of the day, he goes, oh, that was good, that was good. Then he gets to us and he goes, oh, that was very good. And then what he's like, Man, that was exhausting. I'm going to take a thousand-year nap here and just, and I'll let it all. No, God did not need to rest. But this is what's so amazing. The God who did not need to rest created rest for the rest of us. How about that? The God who did not need to rest created rest for the rest of us because he knows how swirling and twirling and hurrying our soul can get. And God said, I know, I know. I created you. I know. So will you stop and rest? God's like, this is not just an invitation. I'm commanding you to stop and to be still and to be with me, to let me fill your soul because everything else in this world is going to take it out of you. You're going to give yourself to those things. All of them are important, have their place. But God says, let me then on this one day a week rest with you. And pour into you, because I actually don't ever rest. I am the one who replenishes and refills your soul. Doesn't that sound delightful? Like God's telling you to take a day off. I mean, this is like, I mean, this has been in the Bible the whole time. It's in the Ten Commandments. I mean, many of you, maybe as kids, memorized and learned this, but have you applied it to your life as an adult? I mean, it's, it's actually an amazing concept. And I think all of us would probably love to find that kind of time in our life. But, I mean, our life looks more like the river jar all swirling about. We would love to find the time and hope that maybe it would happen to where we could just stop and rest and chill and be still and be with God. But look, the, tr- the truth is about our lives is you're never going to find that kind of time. Think about it. You're never going to just magically find that Sabbath time with God. That's not how God intended it but I think that's how we all live oh if I could just find more time with God if there was just more time I would I would love to just have I would love to be able to get up in the morning but you don't understand how early I have to get up to get things going in our house and we have a son who actually gets up at 5 30 a.m. every morning like before God's up my son is up and so it's easy to say oh I wish I had time I just can't seem to find time Look, you're never going to find that kind of time. And when you do, like in the off chance that you do, let's be really honest, is God the first thing you give it to? Now, okay, so I'll lead by example. True story. Two weeks ago, I had a flight. A short flight to St. Louis. It took me more time to get to and from the airport than I was in the air. I get to the airport at O'Hare, and it happens, and maybe it's happened to you. You're looking at your watch, and you're looking at... You don't see a plane. You're wondering where it's at. You're wondering what's going on, and then they pop in over, over over that microphone megaphone, and you think you heard the numbers of your flight, and then you find out that your flight's delayed. 30 minutes, and then you find out your flight's delayed 45 minutes. Then you find out your flight's delayed an hour. You know that feeling that comes over you where you want to go up to the person at the counter, who, by the way, just for the record, has nothing to do with your flight being delayed. But you want them to pay for the sins of the world in that moment. I mean, I've never felt this way, but I know people who do, and they've told me all about it. And so I was having one of those moments where all of a sudden in the G terminal at O'Hare, I had an extra hour and 15 minutes worth of time. You know what I did? I got down on my knees and I started praying. No, golly, wow, I, I should have gone with that. You believe that actually for a moment. Do you know I should have just played that out for a little bit. Do you know what the truth is in that moment? If I'm being really honest with you, you know what I did? I opened up my laptop and you know what I thought? I can get more done in this moment. I found time and I gave it to something else. I can get more work done. I can, get, I can let my six days move in. I can, just, God, I can let it all creep in and overwhelm me. And let's just be honest. You're never going to find that time. And when you do, we tend to give it to anything and everything other than God. God goes, I know, I know, I know. I know your heart. I know your soul. That's why I've set aside this day to be a special day for you. You may never find this kind of time for God, but you can always make it. You can always make it. You may never magically find it, and even when you do, let's be honest, what do you give it to? But you can make this kind of time. In fact, God already made it for you. He's like, look, I gave you the whole thing. It's all right here. Six you're on, one you're off. It's, come on, it's easy. You can do this. This is, I want the, this is so important that I want you to do this. And so here's what I want you to think about. Is we look at this ancient practice and principle. It's been in the Bible the whole time. And we think about our hurried and our rushed and our overwhelmed lives. When you think about what would it look like if you actually took God up as an invitation this week and said, okay, I will find my rest in you because I, I, I've been doing the hurrying, worrying, swirling thing for way too long. And my soul longs for rest in you. And so what would it look like for you To actually do what God's invited you to do, what God created you for, to live in rhythm with him. So I wrote down a couple thoughts on these. You might want to jot these down. In fact, if you have someone next to you, like a spouse or maybe your parents or something like that, like this is a chance not for you to elbow them to tell them what to do, but for you to ask for their help in you actually doing this this week. And saying, you know what, maybe it's going to take like a village for me to take one day off with God. But if so, I'll do it. So here's the first challenge I really want you to consider coming directly out of Exodus chapter 20 this week. To ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Will you this week take a Sabbath? I'm not asking, you know, this is, God's the one asking you this question. Will you actually do it? Like, will you this week actually take a Sabbath day, a whole day where you stop and rest and be still and be alone? With God, and maybe it'll mean you you have people around you that you love, but you don't give yourself to everyone else and everything else first. You give yourself first to God. You say, God, what does my soul most need? How is it with my soul? If my soul is grieving, then God, I'm gonna spend some time on this day just sitting with you and being sad, mourning whatever it is that my soul is grieving. God, if my soul is feeling overwhelmed, then I'm gonna spend part of this time with you celebrating that, naming that, marking that. What would it look like for you this week to really actually do it? Now, you can get real specific and technical about which day it's supposed to be and when you're going to do it. And here's the reality. It's, it's a principle. It's a practice. You don't need to get that, like, narrow about it. God's inviting you to take a day. It's going to look different for every single one of us. The way your life, your schedule is set up, the way it works in your family with the two of you, as a mom or a dad or as kids, it's going to look different. But what if this week, what if one week... He said, I'm going to clear out a day. And I'm not like, going like, to call golfing Sabbath. I'm, I'm going like, to actually stop. I'm going to go for a walk. Here's what we do. Our Sabbath day is for us is on Saturdays. Today is a Sabbath day. Now it's different, right? Because I'm here. I'm with you. It's not really rest. If I were truly honoring the Sabbath, I would be in sweatpants and flip-flops right now. Because that's my Sabbath uniform. But for our, us in our house, it's Saturday. So knowing I'd be here today, I took extra time Yesterday. To just be still and be alone with God. Our kids were at summer camp in the morning. That was my time, to just be still and be alone and be chill and be with God. What would it look like for you to do that? Now, for some of you, one day with God, dedicated for God, feels so overwhelming. You're looking for like a little brown paper bag to breathe into because it's feeling too overwhelming for you. Okay, okay. What if then we just took some steps this week? What if this week you set aside little sacred Sabbath moments? Set aside little sacred Sabbath moments, little practices that you could actually do to help you live more in rhythm with God. Here's one that you can actually do. What would it look like for you to just find 10 uninterrupted moments, 10 uninterrupted moments a day with God? Or maybe just one day this week. You actually do it. Your soul is longing for you to do it. What if you actually did this week? 10 uninterrupted moments. Maybe for you, they'll be in the morning. Maybe for you, it's at a lunch break. You can stop and you can go for a walk or you can be still and be alone with God. No phone, no laptop, no distractions. Maybe for you to come at the end of the day, that's the best day. Once all the work of the day is kind of done and put to rest and put to bed, that's the best time for you to stop and be still. Maybe go back and ask that question, how is it with my soul? Let me give you just one little word of advice on this. If you want to spend just 10 uninterrupted moments with God at the end of the day, I would suggest that you not spend those 10 minutes in bed. Because every time I do, I go into a deep, holy prayer sleep. Very quickly, within 10 minutes, I'm in that space. So maybe for you, you literally stand up next to your bed and you just spend 10 minutes or you just walk the house quietly or you find a special chair and you just spend 10 minutes with God and your soul and just see what happens. Would you do that this week? Would you maybe this week, the best thing you can do to help you live in rhythm with God is to fire your phone as your boss. When did our phones become so smart that they became our bosses? So fire your phone as your boss. At the end of the day, put it away. Really. At the end of the day, put it away. We have a box for our phones to go in at the end of the day. Our seven-year-old has bedazzled that and colored that, so it's a beautiful place for our phones to go. But our kids know, and they are better at reminding us than we are of ourselves, that that's where our phones go at the end of the day. Because everyone who really ultimately matters most is right there in front of us for us. So maybe one of the best ways for you to live in rhythm with God is to get that distraction out of your face and fire your phone as your boss. Maybe for you, you have a commute. Maybe you work and you have a commute or you have time where you're in the car during the week. What if this week, instead of like you, you know, having the news on or having sports on or the radio on, or maybe for you, as you're on your way to work, you're doing your pre-work work, you're taking phone calls, you're doing emails at stoplights. What if instead of all of that, you just rode to work or wherever it was that you were going every day this week in silence and stillness. Just starting your day knowing that the God of the universe is still in control, and that he's not in any sort of rush. So why should you and I be? In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to close with a, a, a song and a moment together that I think will give our soul a little gift and a little reminder. And it's a song that basically I would hope would be what I could say to you at the end of this week if I really practice what God's invited me to in Exodus 20. So the band's going to come up here in a moment. We're going to lead it through. But as we do, I just want to close with this one thought. For those of you who are familiar with the life of Jesus, and you've maybe been following Jesus for a long time, or you're new to Jesus, I want you to think about and look for What I'm about to say here, as we stop and reflect and be still and really practice the Sabbath, do you know that that's actually a way of life that Jesus himself lived? Didn't get lost in all the legalities of it, but he lived in rhythm with God. In fact, the Bible says that again and again and again and again, Jesus would pull away from the crowds, from the demands, all the swirling and hurrying and worrying of those around him so that he could be still. With God. I want you to think about this for a second. Can you think about a single moment in the life of Jesus where you find Him in a hurry? Is there any moment? in the life of Jesus where you see him rushed or frantic like you and I can so easily so often get is there any moment where you see just going okay look here's the deal we need to do five miracles today we need to get to Jerusalem by sundown move it people move it move it on a mission here you don't see Jesus at the last supper going okay here's the deal we don't have time for both of these, so just pick one bread or wine let's go you don't really see Jesus in that space do you? But arguably, he is the one who has changed human history forever, provided a way for us to have a relationship with God, the Savior of the world, who clearly had a greater agenda than you and I ever will. Never once do we see him in a hurry. Why? Because he knows what's at stake, his soul. And so he lived in rhythm and a way with God where he would stop and take God seriously at the Exodus 20 invitation. And be still. And rest with God so that he could say, as the world was hurrying and worrying around him, as the enemy himself, as Satan himself was seeking to destroy God's plan, in the midst of it all, Jesus could say, But it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And may that be true of you and me as well. So I invite you to stand. I want to pray for us and We're going to let those be our words that we close our time with, but we begin our week with each of us taking a step to Sabbath, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives this week. What a great invitation God has given us. So if you would, would you pray with me? And one of the ways we pray at Soul City Church is we, instead of folding our hands, you know, to do this, maybe you grew up praying that way. That's not in the Bible. They just did that so you wouldn't bother the people next to you. It's great. The way we pray at our church is with our hands open, because we want to be open to God So maybe this is a representation for you to be open to God, open with your schedule, open with your priorities, open with the pace of your life as it's been going. And so maybe if you would, to open your hands and your heart up to God. We can pray together right now. God, we know that you're in this space and you are not in a hurry. You never have been, you never will be. And Jesus, you are not only our salvation, but you are our way. And you yourself stopped to rest, to be still, to take a break to let the sediment settle so that your soul could so clearly hear from God. We long to do the same. So help us this week. It literally will take courage. A lot of things in our lives are going to conspire against this. A lot of our own internal resistances and fears of what might actually happen if we were still and alone and laid bare with you. But God, we know that that is where real transformation happens. We know that is where real rest is found. So forgive us of our, forgive me of chasing after all my distractions. Forgive me of my busyness, my hurry. Forgive me of missing you. And help us to find you in the stillness, in the quiet. And may it be true of us as well. May it be true of me as well this week that the world may be spinning out of control around me. All kinds of different things surround me to pull me away from you, but I can say in the midst of it all, we can say in the midst of it all, it is well with our souls. May it be true, we pray in your name.